Good morning. Let's get straight to markets. Take a look at the impact for the indices. Factual. Succinct. All you need to know before your trading day starts. Subscribe to our newsletter, CNBC's Daily Open. Beyond the Valley. Hello and welcome to another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley. I'm Arjun Karpal in Guangzhou, China. Now, this is a very special episode of Beyond the Valley because it's our first one on video. You'll be able to watch these across uh, Facebook, uh, across YouTube. So uh, please subscribe, drop us some comments. And of course, you can listen to the audio only version still across Apple, Google and Spotify's podcasting platforms. Now, today we're going to be talking about electric vehicles and their future. Now, we're going to be talking about growth. We're talking about the challenges, the companies at the forefront, and of course, driverless cars and uh, their future too. Now, some interesting stats to kick off the conversation here. Firstly, 3.1 million electric vehicles were sold globally in 2020, according to Canalis data, a 39% year-on-year rise. Now, Canalis forecast that the number of EVs sold will rise to 30 million in 2028, and EVs will represent nearly half of all passenger cars sold globally in 2030. So strong growth ahead. Now, of course, we've had loads of interesting developments in the space. Firstly, you'll know Tesla, often seen as a pioneer of the electric vehicle space uh, as well. But some of the more traditional automakers are jumping into the fray and boosting their investments in electric vehicles. On top of that, you've got a number of startups across the world jumping into electric vehicles. One of those from China is called Xpeng Motors, and I'll be speaking to one of their top executives later on in the show as well. And tech companies, major, major tech companies are also setting their sights on this area. So it's action packed and racing ahead. Now, let's kick this conversation off. And first, I'd like to introduce Ralph Kalmbach. He's the partner at Bain's Global Automotive Practice. Bain is a global consultancy, of course. Ralph, thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Valley. Happy to be with you. So let's kick off the conversation. In a recent report, you guys noted that the electric vehicle market will start rapidly scaling around uh, the year 2024. So what's happening now and until then, what's going to be driving that? Now a lot of plans uh, that have been issued uh, the years before are materializing. The products are coming to the market as the number of electric vehicles which are available for customers uh, are quickly raising in between 2022 and 2024, five uh, from 100 to 200. And uh, there are more plans to come. And we see that also on the very top, uh, Mercedes, for example, just launched the EQS, uh, the electric S-Class. We saw from Porsche, the Taycan, Audi is launching those cars. GM is uh, coming, uh, the Japanese Nissan strengthening their plans, uh, Toyota is doing a lot, uh, Kia has introduced uh, an entire uh, variety of uh, electric cars, car producers, car manufacturers, uh, you have now a bundle of uh, different cars uh, to be uh, uh, purchased so that we have, let's say, first time a situation where we are not just discussing electromobility, uh, it is reality. And Are consumers ready for electric vehicles at this point? And has the uh, COVID pandemic accelerated that in any way? Yeah, we do believe they are ready. In the beginning, uh, there was a lot of uncertainty in terms of uh, mileage uh, of battery, cost, uh, recycling topics. 
charging, etc. It's uh, getting now more and more clear to customers how to deal with these things. Uh, we see that an average um, range is uh, 300 to 400 kilometers. You can drive those cars with a high level of reliability. You can charge them. It's not a significant problem anymore. And we see that uh, during uh, the COVID pandemic, there was a lot of stimulation programs uh, being issued by different governments. For example, in, in Europe, if you take Germany, it's 10 or more thousand euros direct subsidization uh, for purchasing an electric car or an hybrid, uh, plug-in hybrid. So that uh, this is stimulation for sure and uh, is helping uh, the car manufacturers introducing uh, those electric cars, despite the fact that the cost for those cars are still higher than uh, for producing uh, combustion engine cars. Let's talk about the position of traditional automakers in this market at the moment, because one thing we have seen is a number of technology companies uh, jump into the electric vehicle market and the smart car market. Uh, Should the automakers, the traditional automakers be worried? If a fundamental transformation is happening, less, uh, not less than a disruption to the industry, uh, which has been in stability for 100 plus years, uh, you need to be careful. For the moment, uh, uh, we do believe uh, that the traditional automakers uh, have understood that they need to change and transform themselves uh, fundamentally. Volkswagen, for example, built a, sub- a software competence uh, center. They have separated it. Uh, they are aiming for 10,000 software engineers. They have uh, introduced plans uh, to build a range of uh, six uh, battery factories across the world, etc. So they have understood uh, what does it take uh, to really be successful and uh, come up with uh, totally uh, independent uh, electric vehicle architectures for those new cars. It's not a compromise. So put uh, all in and have finally something. They have learned their lessons. They have understood uh, what does it take. And they can now play their strengths. Uh, And uh, their fundamental strengths are they have a big customer base. They have a solid uh, aftermarket business contributing cash-wise. They have uh, access uh, to a lot of customers. They have a brand that normally gives them reputation in front of customers. They have a financing branch, uh, which allows them to make, uh, uh, let's say, cars affordable by putting together the right deals. Uh, So there is a lot. uh, On the other end, there is heritage. There's a lot of uh, infrastructure plants uh, you may not uh, need in the future anymore. So uh, this is a challenge for them. Let's talk a bit about electric vehicle adoption. What would you say are the biggest challenges at this point to electric vehicle adoption? We see that uh, there are, uh, out of uh, the studies uh, we made, uh, it's four or five uh, criteria that drives uh, customer uh, decisions. Uh, First, it's uh, uncertainty about, uh, let's say, the reliability and, uh, let's say, usability of those cars. I think uh, we said it earlier, this uh, could be solved uh, or is already uh, solved as a problem. Second is charging. Uh, so is there sufficient uh, opportunity uh, to charge my car in my surrounding, in my environment? So governments uh, and industry have understood uh, that uh, they need to speed up and ramp it up uh, quickly. The initiatives are underway. So we do not see that this is uh, on the long run a significant hurdle. Third is the cost uh, of cars uh, compared to traditional offers. So uh, as I said earlier, there are subsidy programs uh, in place making up, uh, let's say, for the uh, price difference uh, you normally have. Uh, So this is for the moment not a big deal. And uh, behind uh, this uh, price difference, uh, the major uh, impact uh, is created by battery cost. And we see that uh, cost of batteries are coming down very quickly. 
and uh, the concepts of uh, let's say putting uh, let's say the right size of battery in the cars uh, is advancing so that uh, we see that uh, in 24 25 uh, there will be a cost parity and uh, finally it's a cost of ownership uh, and there we also see that, uh, let's say, electric cars impacted by the uh, cost of purchasing the car uh, make up. And uh, finally, it would be in favor of electric cars. Uh, and uh, there is also, let's say, from governments, uh, CO2 fines, uh, etc. The taxation of uh, combustion engines is uh, handled in a way that it's getting more expensive. A lot of arguments uh, are playing in favor of EVs. Let's talk a little bit or look a little bit further into the future and talk about autonomous driving, because this, of course, is something that the automakers are getting very excited about. Uh, but there's also a discrepancy in terms of which markets are ahead in the development of that. You know, we know the U.S. is pushing quite aggressively in this area and China, uh, of course, as well. But, you know, mass adoption of autonomous driving still feels like a long way off. I mean, in your view, what are the steps to get there and, and how far off might we be? First, uh, uh, we all thought uh, that uh, autonomous driving uh, would come much earlier uh, because uh, we underestimated the complexity of this uh, technology. And uh, it is not about uh, making a car uh, drive straight uh, uh, in an autonomous mode on motorways uh, uh, without cross traffic. The problem is coming if you have a free flow system uh, in a crowded city. Uh, for example, with a lot of unexpected events happening. So uh, this was underestimated and uh, there's consensus in the industry that uh, in such uh, situations uh, we will be able from maybe 2028 onwards uh, to have this uh, technology in an affordable um, way. The different story is uh, robocabs, uh, where you have, uh, let's say, an autonomous uh, driving mode in a fenced and defined area. Uh, so that you can make it uh, part of a public uh, transportation uh, system in the city, etc. Uh, not just for people, but also for, for goods delivery. And uh, we do believe that uh, because technological challenges uh, are uh, not as high as uh, in this free flow mode, and uh, the regulatory uh, uh, situation is a different one, uh, that this uh, can come earlier. And uh, there we see that... Uh, up to mid of this decade, uh, 2025, we will have, uh, let's say, uh, situations, especially in China, where you have, uh, let's say, the government driving this uh, and pushing this uh, significantly. Then we will see in certain uh, areas in US, uh, because regulatory uh, situations uh, are different to European Union, and European Union will be... Uh, as quite often uh, a bit uh, behind because complexity of regulation is, is higher than uh, in other areas because uh, we need to link, uh, let's say, the, the cross-country traffic uh, also in an autonomous way. And there you have, uh, let's say, with uh, 28 uh, European uh, countries, a different situation. Now, Ralph, if you then looked on a, on a global landscape at electric vehicles and, and you were to, to use a metaphor of a race uh, to electric vehicle adoption uh, between the US, between Europe and China, I mean, who's ahead right now and who's going to win? Uh, we have a bit uh, different uh, perspective. Uh, it is not, uh, let's say, having a complete country uh, being front running or running behind. 
we have a situation where you need to uh, compare uh, urban areas. For example, New York uh, can be compared with Shanghai because the problems are everywhere the same. Uh, so we see that uh, from an, uh, a regulatory aspect, uh, uh, the government uh, need to influence mobility in a way that uh, there is no traffic collapse uh, happening and you need to come up with uh, different solutions for public transportation systems, etc. Despite this, uh, China in the, in the urban uh, dense areas uh, will be first, uh, then uh, US and then we have in Europe uh, certain areas uh, like Amsterdam, uh, yeah, where you have, uh, let's say, half of uh, the population uh, of the Netherlands commuting around uh, this, this area or uh, Berlin or something, Paris, London, uh, so it's uh, big uh, uh, areas. And then you have, uh, let's say, the, the more rural areas. We will see uh, combustion engines uh, quite longer. Uh, so it's the same in China. We will see that uh, in India, uh, Delhi, Mumbai, uh, Bangalore, uh, Chennai, etc. will have a significant uh, level of electric mobility, but the rest of India will be uh, still uh, on combustion engines. Ralph, great conversation. Thanks so much uh, for joining me. I appreciate it, Subscribe to the Squawkbox Europe Express podcast. Join Steve, Karen and myself, Arabile, in unscripted and dynamic debate around the day's top stories with first and exclusive interviews of the best in business and global newsmakers, original points of view and instant analysis of the latest business news and key market themes. Get set for the day ahead. Squawkbox Europe Express podcast, now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. Thank you. Now let's turn our attention to China. 41% of global electric vehicle sales in 2020 came from China alone, just behind Europe with 42%, according to Canales. So it's a huge market right now. And looking around, I mean, I'm just walking around Guangzhou um, and other cities in China. You can see quite a lot of electric cars on the road from various brands, from Tesla, from Xiaopeng, a number of others like Neo and Li Auto as well. So there's a lot of appetite in the market as well. And that's really come from heavy government support, subsidies amongst other things as well um, for consumers and that's really helped spur a lot of the startups uh, coming forward in the electric vehicle space in China as well. Uh, there have been a number that have so far been quite successful. There's also been a number that just haven't made it off the ground either. Uh, one of the ones that has done so well so far is Xiaopeng Motors or Xpeng Motors as it's known. And I'm pleased to introduce Brian Gu, the president of the company. Brian, thanks so much for joining Beyond the Valley. Great to see you, Arjun. So let's kick off the conversation, of course, with the China market. This is where you're operating quite heavily. This is where you guys were founded. Um, it's a market that, of course, has had huge government support um, in terms of subsidies and very other, various other things as well. Um, but of course, like many markets, the China market saw a hit during the coronavirus pandemic and the lockdowns that occurred here as well. So as you look forward now and, and what we've seen at the start of 2021, what's your outlook for the China market over the coming years? Well, I think uh, the China EV market uh, continued to have a very robust uh, growth momentum. Uh, we saw, obviously, um, after COVID um, peaked um, in, in early last year and then the market come back you know, quite strongly. And I think that momentum continues uh, this year. Um, you saw the first quarter uh, EV delivery numbers actually at least for the uh, companies like ourselves and some other companies that are producing smart EVs has grown uh, quite uh, significantly. 
And I think uh, the market uh, will maintain that pace of growth, I think, at least for the next few years. It's driven mostly by, I think, uh, continued acceptance of uh, smart EVs uh, by consumers. Uh, you actually see in some of the tier one cities like Shanghai, Beijing, uh, Shenzhen, Guangzhou, uh, the penetration rates already reached double digit uh, in the cities, penetration being the, the car sales uh, of the EV versus the overall auto sales. And the same time, you saw China's overall EV penetration crossing 5% this year as well. So those both are very significant. So I think uh, the, the growth um, in the next few years will probably be ahead of the government's prediction of uh, 20% by um, 2025. So that's very exciting for all of us. One thing that's been real interesting in the China market is the increasing number of players, of course, uh, in the electric vehicle space from from startups to the traditional automakers. But more recently, we've seen a number of large technology giants also enter this this automotive space. You know, we've seen uh, Baidu, for example, set up their own standalone electric vehicle venture with Geely. Uh, you've seen Xiaomi uh, most recently announce um, its entry into the electric vehicle space. And Huawei as well um, has created uh, various softwares and systems for electric vehicles as well. So this this um, increase in activity from technology giants in the automotive space, does that concern you at all in terms of competition? And how do you plan to navigate that? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think the, the, the waves of competitors are now changing, right? I mean, I think a few years ago when we started, you know, this EV, uh, you know, endeavor, um, I think we're faced with a very different competitive universe, especially I think uh, um, now um, it's widely recognized that the EV uh, opportunity is so vast and also um, what it takes to succeed is on the technology side. And I think you start to attract uh, those technology companies. So for us, I think it's very exciting. First of all, it validated our original thesis. You know, the smart EV, the core differentiation is technology is not automobile or um, battery capabilities. I think making a car that technologically is advanced, uh, that has network autonomous driving and other capabilities will be the long-term differentiator. So I think it's very exciting to see, you know, people share that vision that we had a few years ago. Secondly is that I think uh, making a car, um, I think it's also quite different from making a cell phone or a smartphone because it takes a much longer product you know, cycle to achieve. Uh, it actually takes years of development, uh, manufacturing, as well as sales and services uh, set up. So I think for these technology companies, you're probably a few years behind us. Um, and I think it's great that they come in, so it will provide very exciting products for consumers. But at the same time, I think uh, by the time they have the first vehicle on the market, will probably be with seven to eight different models covering various segments of the market already. And having a robust infrastructure of charging services, sales, et cetera, uh, for our own customers. So I think it would be actually quite interesting at that time to see you know, the competitive dynamic shift towards technology players. And I think we really welcome that. Now, you have your own autonomous driving system as well called X-Pilot, which has some, uh, you know, autonomous assisted features for the drivers as well. Um, 
What's the trend in this area as you see it? Uh, there's still a long way to go until you know regulation allows full autonomy on the roads. Um, you know, infrastructure needs to change as well. Uh, we've got the advent, of course, of five G rolling out. All these various different pieces of technology coming together. Um, how do you see this playing out in China? And and what's what do you see as the road to to where we get full autonomy uh, for these cars? Well, I think China is probably one of the more Advanced and aggressive uh, countries that to you know, experiment um, autonomous driving. I mean, if you look at different cities, municipalities, as well as uh, uh, central government policies, they all start you know trying to experiment, encourage the testing of um, autonomous driving um, technologies. What I would you know think uh, for us is that you know we want to make sure the technology that we develop today can be used in our own production vehicles. That's very important to us because, you know, obviously compared to some of the software companies that focus on level four or beyond, those are still very much uh, testing um, cases. Um, and uh, they, you know, obviously not able to produce in a large quantity in our real life commercial settings. Um, so first of all, we want to make sure our technology pathway allows us to utilize you know, today vehicle that's sold on the market. Um, same time, I think uh, you know the technology path for us is to actually make sure that we still adhere to the current and developing, evolving policy um, sort of standard. Uh, for example, at the moment, there's no policy that allows full economy yet on the road um, because that definition of liability of responsibility is not clear. So we are still relying on what we call the level three like features. For example, the 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 driver still is responsible for the vehicle. So they have to sit behind the wheels, but utilize the autonomous driving capability. That's what we have in our vehicles. So I think it's actually for an OEM company like us, you know, we produce our cars and sell it to retail customers. We have to make sure that technology that we develop adhere to what's available on, on, in terms of permitted by the policies. Um, but in the long run, though, we see that path of gradual improvement, for example, right now we already launched what we call the NGP, Navigation Guided Pilot, that you can actually drive autonomously uh, behind the wheel, uh, driving a steering wheel on highway settings. Uh, and we will extend that by the end of the year, next year to more you know, city-like settings, the arteries, the, the city roads, and gradually, and then using that capability to accumulate data, corner cases, and really you know, develop a more fulsome autonomous, autonomous driving capabilities. In our mind, that path and that approach is probably more practical for uh, auto, automobile company like ourselves because we can, first of all, have this all deployed in our vehicles and the new models coming to the market. At the same time, we can actually collect more and more data from the driving uh, of, of, of our drivers using those smart ED products. And with that data, we can actually continue to progress towards full autonomy. I think that gradual sort of approach is what we think is more practical for us. 
Brian, I just want to get back to the, the competition again, because, uh, you know, when a lot of people perhaps hear about Xpeng Motors, they read about it uh, on news sites and they see, you know, Chinese Tesla rival Xiaopeng Motors um, and they see these headlines. What, what people do want to know is, though, you know, I guess how you differentiate from Tesla, uh, but also in terms of Tesla, you know, they have, of course, uh, been around for longer. They're delivering more cars than you guys in China. I mean, what are your plans to catch up in this space? Yeah, I think Tesla is a name you can't avoid talking about when you do EV, right? I mean, you know, even if we don't talk about it, whoever that reports on the new players in the market, oh, that's a Tesla wannabe or competitor, et cetera. So I think it's clear that every you know, uh, leading uh, EV company uh, in, in this market will have to compare themselves to Tesla. Uh, clearly that you know, we have a very different approach being a Chinese company. Uh, but I think there are similarities and differences, right? The similarity being that we are tech-driven, we're R&D focused, uh, we want our product to be, you know, really enjoyed by uh, mass you know, market um, instead of very niche luxury market. All that I think Tesla is, is doing that as well. But at the same time, I think uh, we want to develop product that really focus on China driving scenarios. Um, for example, the NGP I just talked about, uh, we just had a long journey from Guangzhou to Beijing, and a lot of people actually drove our vehicle and, and also the Tesla vehicle alongside it. Uh, they actually had a lot of comparisons. You can see that you know, our design of those features really thought about China-specific driving conditions, the corner cases, the lane changes, you know, utilizing different technology approach because, for example, we have a high-definition map in our autonomous driving uh, software approach uh, where Tesla does not use. Um, we, in the next product, we're going to have a LiDAR incorporated into our sensor package. Tesla does not have that either. So we have, you know, also uh, being, you know, focused on different technology approaches. But I think uh, really focus on what your customer is really need and, and want, how to perfect, um, you know, their user experience is, I think, what, you know, what really for us is, is most important. So I think Tesla, in this great name, they have a tremendous lead uh, in terms of technology um, globally. Um, clearly, every EV company will see them as you know, a competitor, but also a role model uh, in some ways for you know, the way that they pioneer in some of the business practices and technologies. So I think uh, it's, it's always fun to compete with such a powerful and such a you know, um, capable players. But at the same time, in China, I think we're learning from other uh, players as well. Traditional auto companies teach us how to you know, make sure that we have the brand building and services. Uh, some technology companies really you know, talk about how to utilize you know, these China marketing and then, you know, social media related. So we actually learn from all these different players to really form our own strategy. You mentioned, of course, your focus on the China driving scenario, but also you have begun to lay the groundwork for, for global expansion as well. So, I mean, what are your plans in terms of the international markets? Uh, I think you've looked at Europe first, but what are some of the markets you see as ripe for disruption, as it were, uh, and ripe for electric vehicle products that you're bringing to the market? Well, I think uh, at the end of the day, a smart EV is going to be a global product. We focus on China market today because it's our home market. It's one of the largest market to focus on. But I think that, you know, the technology that we develop in, inside the vehicle, um, the autonomous driving, the, you know, the upgradability of the vehicle, all that is applicable for global markets as well. 
um, we see tremendous potential globally because China, you know, being one of the largest ones, but it's not the entire market. I mean, if you saw Europe last year, it has exceeded China in terms of total EV sales. Uh, and I think other markets like Southeast Asia are interesting markets in the long term as well. So we want to be positioned for the long-term growth and not limited to just one market. Um, but also the challenge of global, you know, international strategy is very, very uh, obvious because, you know, it takes the you know, infrastructure layout, um, you know, quite a long time of building a team, uh, building your capabilities, building your brand. Uh, those all take time and you have to do it really carefully, do it right. So we started, you know, late last year to lay the groundwork of a ch- European strategy, you know, we started exporting uh, very few, um, you know, a small batch, I would say, uh, vehicles to uh, Norway uh, as one of the start test cases. Um, choosing, you know, Europe, especially Northern Europe is, is a reason because that they have one of the more uh, mature uh, EV market. Uh, the penetration there is as high as over 50%. Uh, at the same time, they have very strong um, infrastructure support for EV development. And I think they welcome, you know, international brands to these countries. So those are the factors that we select them as, the, you know, the new entry markets. But overall, I think we, we want to make sure that we have an international growth strategy in place when we actually have our third, fourth, fifth models ready. And those models will be designed in with international market uh, in mind as well. So, Brian, just as we wrap up this conversation, you're sat there at the Xpeng headquarters uh, in Guangzhou with your design team and you're talking about the future of the car. You're saying, what does it look like? What do we want inside of it? Will it fly? All these questions. Um, just just kind of lay out your vision about you know, how you envisage the future of, of cars looking um, when everything's in place, the infrastructure, the, the regulations, everything like that. Well, I think uh, this market will grow faster and more um, transforming than people expected. I think uh, um, there are a few reasons for that. First of all, is that so far we haven't really changed the look of the vehicles yet. Even though we don't need an engine, we don't need a gas tank, we don't need a transmission, the car can look very different. But still, I think we still adhere to a very traditional way of looking for the vehicles. In five, 10 years, the, the look of the vehicle will be very, very different. Um, I think uh, it will more like living space than a driving piece of uh, product because there's no need to to look at it because those are inherited for after 100 years of you know development with gas engine vehicles. Um, so I think the, the the look will change towards more spacious. There's more technology for enjoyment inside the vehicle. Uh, there will be more connectivity. Uh, the vehicle will be less. Uh, focused on driving, but more focused on utilization of, you know, what do you make you productive, enjoyable, and comfortable inside that space and personalized as well. So I think that is going to be the new look of vehicles. At the same time, I think uh, the, the, the product will actually have move, definitely will move towards a complete autonomy. That's inevitable. Uh, it's coming. Uh, I think uh, um, in 10 years' time, you, start, you will start to see you know, the vehicles become just parts and you will be using that um, potentially you know, without even knowing how this operates because it's going to become a piece of, you know, sort of space that you utilize, go from A to B and with, you know, uh, personalized enjoyment inside. Um, and uh, in the long run, I think uh, 
Also, I would think the devices will be connected to other modes of transportation um, because um, vehicle, the ground transportation is just a part of transportation. I think uh, the, um, the future products will actually be able to navigate through different modes of transportation on land, in the air, on the water, in the water, uh, you know, etc. So all these actually will be connected uh, through um, you know, devices and products and technology. So it will be a very interesting network of autonomous transportation grid in the three-dimensional space uh, that we're going to have. Great, Brian. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat to me on Beyond the Valley. It was great to catch up with you again. Great to see you again, Arjun. Thank you. So what next for the electric vehicle industry? Well, there's clearly a lot of growth ahead, but I'd love to get your thoughts. Uh, Do you have an electric vehicle right now? Are you thinking of buying one? If you are, then why? If not, then why not? Uh, You can drop me a line. I'm on Twitter at Arjun Karpal. Well, that's it for another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley. Thanks for listening and watching our very first video episode. I'll catch you next time. Beyond the Valley.